Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Everybody, welcome to Pretty Scary. Danger, this is the part where you're supposed to go, Pretty Scary, boo! Boo! Uh, that's not what I said. No? Oh, shit. All right, I need you to start over. Pretty Scary, boo, is what you say. Okay. Go ahead. I'm ready. Hey, everybody, welcome to Pretty Scary. Pretty Scary! God damn it, Danger. It's Pretty Scary, yeah. boo! Boo! Is what you're sp- oh, yeah! Is- no, no, we got it, right? No, this is a nightmare. This is, this is total chaos. But hey. I'm loving it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Pretty Scary. I'm your host. Pretty Scary Boo. God damn it. Adam Todd Brown. And joining me as co-host today. Ooh, my favorite co-host of all. No co-host. But I do have a very special guest. Danger Van Gorder's here. Hi, everybody. Let's get sad. From the band Countless Thousands, from several Unpops podcasts, the people know him. The people love him. Mm-hmm. We are. I, know, I hope that's true. We are still in the midst of doing a bunch of guest episodes, so I can record ahead and clear the way to have surgery to get a metal spike removed from the side of my face. So Carrie and Cindy will be back soon. We just banked a whole bunch of episodes so I could get nice. my head cut open. But before we get started, there's there's another reason Danger's here, mm-hmm. and it's because me and Danger have a show this week. Yeah. February oh, 3rd. I'm so excited. February 3rd at the Sardine in San Pedro. It's a punk rock venue. There's a banging taco truck across the street. I'm going to be doing comedy for the first time since COVID. I think like three years now. Jeff May is going to be telling jokes. Atif Myers, Anna Valenzuela, and then Danger and Countless Thousands are playing music after with some other Hell bands. Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's the Nerd Rockers Ball, and I'm I'm excited to see that we've got first time, long time Jeff May on there. He's never actually been on it, but the most exciting thing is it's Adam's uh, glorious return to the stage. New material. He'll be doing new material. We've got a whole new EP that we're gonna we're gonna bust out for everybody because uh, it's. Uh, Oh, the times—they're very inspiring in the worst ways. Uh, and we're gonna—we're gonna make—we're gonna make some chuckles out of it. We're gonna make some—we're gonna make some nods, you know. Maybe get some uh, some of those devil fingers up in the air for the rock and roll people enjoying it. Of course. And ideally, no one that has COVID will attend. And Halloween, we played a, a Halloween show, and I caught COVID at the fucking bar. Don't so, don't put that hex on us. We're not going to get COVID. I'm the, uh, no, I'm saying people will know ahead of time. They're gonna, they're going to they're going to screen themselves. They're going to be responsible. You know, maybe err they on the will. side of a, an extra N95 mask if they need to. Keep their about, neighbors safe. How about we also tell them where to get tickets? Unpops.co/sardine. 
S-A-R-D-I-N-E. I hope we see you there. Hey, yep. let's get to what we're talking about. Speaking of the times being very inspiring and troubling and- In the worst ways. In the worst way. We're talking yeah. about a documentary today called Riotsville, USA. I think on the surface, people would see what this is about and assume it's better suited for the conspiracy podcast because we're talking about the militarization of the police in this documentary. And that's a thing conspiracy types bring up a whole bunch, but it's also not a conspiracy. It's a thing. It's just out in the open. It's just a thing that happened. And this documentary kind of gets to the roots of how that happened. And I would argue police violence is indeed one of the scariest things about this country. And of yeah, course- not a lot of places where you can get into uh, extreme trouble, flag somebody down, and then get shot for your efforts. That does happen. Right, right. That you happens- know, when, Oh, it's a statistical unlikely. It still happens here, you know? Well, speaking of things that still happen, I think that's the most jarring thing about this documentary is how yeah. it's not just that police violence- especially police violence against black people in the United States, it's not just that it hasn't gotten better, or I guess better is not the way to put it. <laughs> it's not happening any less. It's happening at the same rate. But what's even more alarming in this documentary is we haven't even moved past most of the discussions yeah. that you see them having in this documentary. It's disheartening. It's pretty wild. We should tell people like the broad overview of this documentary. Again, it's called Riotsville, USA. Mm. It's an archival footage documentary made by a filmmaker named Sierra Pettengill, who has also, I think it was 2017, made a archival footage documentary called The Reagan Show about the Reagan administration. And it's great. But this documentary, it's about a model town that was built by the U.S. military in the 1960s to train police to shut down protests. And it draws... Oh, wait, wait, wait. To shut down riots that were, <laughs> it, that were agitated by outside agitators, as was the conventional wisdom. Right. Of like, whatever, whenever anything happens in a city, it's because outside agitators have come to a place and invoked good upstanding citizens to riot. Yes, that is a narrative we still hear to this day, Yeah, that whenever people are angry enough to burn shit down in their community, it's not because the conditions are so bad that they feel compelled to commit acts of vandalism, whatever you want to call it. No, 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 no. It's because of Antifa danger. Yeah. It's Antifa hey, quick, busting you know in who from an out of town. outside agitator is, like if you go by the definition, is Kyle Rittenhouse. That yeah. guy came from the outside. He agitated. And yeah, the fact that this is all just government footage, government words, government information makes this documentary super credible. There's not really a lot of opinion in this. Is the filmmaker also the narrator? Because that, that lady got a haunting voice. Yeah, I'm pretty okay. sure she is yeah, also the narrator. She's she's definitely got a point of view and she's she's walking us towards like, I mean, she basically like plops it in front of us and says, okay, and then we're going to walk in a circle around this thing for a long time. But yeah, there is a perspective. It's just that the perspective is matched by the overt things that are being said and produced. All of this is set against the backdrop of all of the civil rights riots that happened in the mid to late 
60s. Yeah. Like, there's, a, there's a fun detour there where a senator from, I can't remember where, uh, but Senator Byrd, Southern Democrat sen- Senator Byrd saying... Well, when this Dr. Martin Luther King agitates these people, these good upstanding people to commit violence, he is nowhere to be found in the immediate aftermath. And then six days later, he was assassinated. Yeah, yeah. Real weird hearing a senator talk shit about Martin Luther King, who has a statue these days. Well, not, got a statue. not just that, but it's a very good reminder that at this point in history, Democrats were still kind of the racists. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like so- Southern Democrats were very much, uh, very much the racist. And yeah, Sorry, everybody was racist at this point. Let's be honest. Yeah, your your Northern Republicans and your Southern Democrats all sort of high fiving. Well, over, uh, you know. that that's that's saying every politician was racist. That's not saying everybody go. was racist. Bob yeah. Dylan wasn't racist. Danger. I'm sorry, who? Bob Dylan, but I can't name Bob anyone Dylan. else. Okay. Kind of just Dylan in the '60s. So, yeah, at this point in history, like in 1967, there were riots in like 150 American cities. And I don't know if I could even name like 40 American cities. So do you want to try? No, absolutely not. Not on a podcast or otherwise. But and here's the thing. I could name at least. It's fine. Yeah, you've toured in that many. So to help combat all this, the police build a fake town called Riotsville. Well, let's let's take a, or a wait, 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 wait. Stop. I, well, I said it wrong. The police don't build okay. it. The military yeah, builds a town called Riotsville to train the police to put down riots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Here's Here's how we did it in Chile. Here's how you can do it in your own streets. Yeah. The footage of Riotsville is fascinating. Because there's, again, the military filmed all of this because I'm assuming they were doing it to make it like a training video kind of thing where. Oh, yeah. The, there's uh, the documentarian puts the introduction of that training video in there. Yeah. And it wasn't just that they were there LARPing with like fake rioters who were actual military soldiers. There were bleachers where people could watch and they would like do recreations of famous riots. You see the Riotsville version of the Watts riots in this documentary. And at yeah. the end of it, when all of the agitators air quotes are hauled away the people in the stands start cheering yeah it's like like it really is some larp shit it's crazy so weird too the the documentarian does a really good job to be like this is an expression of the psyche of the military this is what they were afraid of was outside agitators taking their good honest citizens and turning them into something else so it's like it, the these people who are actors, and it, it was very strange for me watching this thing because I participated in police training simulations. Longtime listeners might know my dad is a cop, and so we have a very special relationship these days. Um, and <laughs> when I was a kid, we like he would take me and like, hey, bud, I want you to you know uh, put put on this mask and take this uh, you know plastic paintball gun, and uh, we're gonna have a police officer go around or a trainee rather go around that corner there i want you to hide in this vent and then maybe crawl out a little bit and shoot him in the back if you can cool and then like that sort like that was jesus 
yeah, like it, it was it was fun as a teenager because you know you're basically playing yeah. cops and robbers with the actual cops and with you know no consequences, which is kind of a fascinating thing. But like I I remember being told hide in the vent. Like yeah. that's what they're afraid of is that there's going to be a chubby five foot six got yelled at last week for painting my nails black child stuffed in a vent with a gun that's going to shoot officer friendly in the back and so they have to train for that right which that's probably not a thing that's going to happen but i don't know you know uh so uh, yeah and then like the same thing it's like the the these the 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 program that these these MPs are being taught is like okay, uh, we want you to be afraid of the corruption of the city streets when people from outside come in and then do something, and then we can make that corruption stop if we take them and put them in a van and and take them away. Right, but we should also talk about where that idea of this being outside agitators kind of starts like that's a claim people have been making about unrest for a long long time but in this case this documentary it kind of like like there's some a few minutes of build-up but it really starts with lbj and his commission on civil disorders in 1967 and this is the point in history where we've gone through all these riots lbj gets in front of the world on television and says, you know, we're going to figure this out. We're going to get to the bottom of why people in the most oppressed and impoverished neighborhoods in this country are so unhappy. And it's like, yeah, let's figure that out. That seems like a pretty tall order. But behind the scenes, he was telling people on this commission, which came to be called the Kerner Commission, after the chairman, Otto Kerner, governor of Illinois at the time, he behind the scenes is telling people on this commission, look, we want the conclusion to be that these riots were caused by outside agitators. And he also threatened to cut off the penis of one of the commission members if they did not come to that conclusion. One of our more penile presidents, LBJ. Yeah, he he liked to talk about dick a lot. Yeah, Yeah. especially his own. Yeah, I heard he was rocking a baby arm down there. (laughs) Jumbo. Yeah. His dick had a name, and I know it. Jumbo. So they are tasked with delivering this report by the following summer. Yeah, and LBJ made a very specific point of, I will appoint no radicals on this, but I'm going to get the milkiest, white breadiest clump of moderates who up until this point have made no waves in any way, like, you know, just sort of towing the line, stacking the deck with moderates so that he would get that a conclusion because, you know, what's a lot easier to fix is a few outside agitators you know, like, but basically, I'm sure the idea was, hey, let, let's just blame this on the Black Panthers. Can we find a way sure. to blame this on the Black Panthers or any other sort of like socialist movements or especially uh, movements of color? Like, if we can sort of tag these people as the problem, that's an easier fix than saying maybe our ho- the whole way we build our cities and fund our society needs a whole uh, an overhaul. Right. Um, and the moderates went in and like, yes, I am basically the most unassuming white governor of any state you can imagine in the yeah. union. Just like they the, went the in blank, like that. But it comes out in, people. It comes out another way, and yeah. we'll get to it. But first, we also need to talk about NPL. I want NPL back on the air. This is a <laughs> show that we get clips of 
all throughout this documentary. It was called National Public Laboratory. Mm -hmm. And it was like a precursor to NPR, it seems like. Yeah. And it was highly political. Like, given the time it was taking place, it didn't really have any choice but to be political. Yeah. But it's like, it's just, you know, kind of people having discourse about civil rights stuff at the time when all of the civil rights stuff was happening. And they did a really impressive thing where they had these telecasts where people were joining in from all over the world. It wasn't just like a few people in the studio. It was, yeah. now we're going to go live to this black congregation in Detroit at the ministers up at the pulpit saying, you're, you're, you're inviting the fraternal order of the police on here to, act, to say that there's not police brutality. Like we as a, as, a, as a community know there is police brutality. So we're going to walk off this show unless somebody on that other side acknowledges that occasionally even there might be some problems with too much use of force. Yeah, and what's really disheartening about this footage is I mentioned earlier that this documentary shows we haven't really even moved past some of the most basic talking points when it comes to police violence. This first episode of NPL that they show clips from opens with police just being like, police brutality is not even a thing. Like, let me read you this Reader's Digest quote. Police brutality doesn't happen. And it's like, we're still having that fucking argument. All these decades later, that's insane. Very it's interesting sad. that you and I are recording this on a day when there was a young man who was basically beaten to death in Memphis by five cops. Yeah. And just today it comes out that all five of those cops who were suspended and then they were fired and now they're being charged with murder. But it's kind of interesting that all five of those cops are black. Yep. The victim was black. And and at the same time, there was uh, uh, somebody who was tased to death here in Los Angeles. And much in the same way that, you know, Eric Garner was killed, like these people die underneath cop, multiple cops. And then uh, at this point, like people are the, the, the discourse of the Black Lives Matter movement, the, the, the power of everybody joining a protest outside to, 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 to you know, to confront this. That seems to have subsided some. Yeah. Like the problem remains. Uh, and maybe there might be some accountability here and there, but it is truly jarring to see how infrequently that accountability happens and how frequently when that accountability does happen, that those cops that are held accountable to whatever degree happen to be cops of color. Yeah, I'm still surprised that so many cops in this country did not see Joe Biden getting elected as like a thing they should feel emboldened by. I don't know how anyone ever had any delusions mm. that Joe Biden was going to act on that defund the police shit, especially well, not mean, with he's making a, he's a, so, a... He's a socialist, though. He's a socialist, communist, Marxist, exactly. Leninist. It's like... It's, cul it's culture war it, bullshit. It's it is, and it speaks, it speaks to it, exactly how broken this country is, is you idiots can't even recognize when a pro-cop president has been put in office during the defund the police movement. like who Who takes on as his vice president... A cop. A cop. So we have to talk about how this PBL show worked. You mentioned it a little bit, but it wasn't just like people from around the country talking. Like we see that all the time, but it would be people talking and then 
that person would have a whole audience with them. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, all right, now, all right, now you from the Fraternal Order of the Police, you've had your say. Now we go live to the to the black congregation in Detroit for a, basically a, a rebuttal. And it's exactly the kind of thing we should have on TV right now. Like there should be an auditorium full of angry black people screaming at the police, like on primetime television once a week. Like that's that's how shit gets done, even if the thing that gets done is the government starts assassinating progressives. But which again, is, yeah, what happened in the 60s. What's really interesting is before Putin like really took power in Russia, this is where Russia was kind of headed. There is a series of terrorist attacks that happened in Russia called the Russian apartment bombings that seem like maybe the state actually did it as like a false flag thing. And what's really interesting is at the time, because and the reason people think that is FSB agents got caught planting one of the bombs. Huh. So that's a little telling. That's overt. And what's fascinating is Russia at the time was such a free and open place there is a television broadcast where just random people get to, like, question the FSB agents who wow. were caught planting these bombs. Holy shit. And it's intense. Like, they're like, at, at one point, someone in the crowd is like, you did it. Like, you obviously did it. But the hitch is that Putin's response to the Russian apartment bombings are what raised his profile enough for him to become president. And at the same time, it seems like maybe his organization, he was because he, he was like involved in the FSB at the time. So, so like his reaction to the apartment bombing was to bomb, was to, well, what, it was deemed so down, I have to assume um, Chechnyans. Yes. Oh, splendid. Okay. Yeah. Chechnyan terrorists who were never actually like identified, I don't think. It's a very mm -hmm. weird story. But yeah, it's the and, and he once he became president, he obviously cracked down on that. And it's just interesting that we used to have a show like this in the United States that did that same sort of thing. I mean, that was at the time of the fairness doctrine when like, yeah. the point of, of media was like, let's actually try to have a conversation. And not m most programs didn't actually pull it off, but there were plenty that existed that had that sort of like, all right, well, if you're going to say this thing, I'm going to say this this in reverse. Or we need to – that sort of both sidesiness that modern like cable news sort of pretends at where I have an opinion about vaccines. Well, okay, well, I'm a doctor and I'm going to explain when you're wrong. But my opinions are given equal measure. And oh, well, that's a really fascinating thing, but let's cut to a commercial. Like they're pretending to do both sidesiness right. on MSNBC and CNN cable news, all that bullshit, you know? And, and then there's, of course, like shit like Fox News, which is like, we're going to say it, but we're not even going to try to pretend to be, to be fair and balanced. Yeah. Like, and all, even none of that exists for us anymore. And even this show. It's fair and balanced to a point like this is still the 1960s. So one of the things you see is they're they're talking to the police. One guy delivers a line that sounds like it comes directly from 2023. There's only one thin line between crime and society, and that's the police. And that, that's the whole thin blue line concept. Yeah. But then they cut to <laughs> Reverend Albert Cleage who is in Detroit. He appears to probably be a Nation of Islam guy, which I'm judging just based on the bow tie. He's got a 
church full of angry people there with him. And when this cop says this thin blue line thing, they cut to Reverend Cleege in Detroit. And he says, we are through with this white hypocrisy. The black revolution is in Prague. They cut his feed. So it's like, yeah, it's it's fair and balanced on PBL and they're letting everyone have their say. But it's still 1960s America and they weren't going to let Reverend Cleege start talking about revolution on well, PBL. No social media at the time to sort of capture that moment and, and recreate it for people. If you missed it, then you missed yeah. it. Yeah. And so then the Kerner Commission findings come out and holy shit. Yeah. I linked to it in the notes and I'll put it in the show notes for the episode. I want to read this report. Yeah, it's 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 the rare one of those rare examples of a government report that also becomes a bestseller. Yeah. You know, it was like 700 pages and people were buying it like, wow, yeah, no, this is really gripping stuff. Well, because it was at a time when people cared about what the government was fucking doing. Like everyone cared. And so when this book came out, it was being sold at like school book fairs. It was at Walgreens. It was everywhere. And it was a dollar. <laughs> So, yeah, people were I snatching it up. Okay. And like with a government report, like this is hot on the heels of the Warren Commission being like, oh, we don't know, man, that bullet just traveled funny. You don't expect the kind of honesty that you get from this report. But this was a slate of white moderates. Yeah, this is a quote from the report. Our nation is moving toward two societies, one black, one white separate and unequal. That's a quote from the report. This is a quote from Sierra Pettengill in the documentary. With those words, the 11 least revolutionary people in the country started to sound like the people in the streets. That's a great way to put so it. Good. Yeah. And there's another a quote from H. Rap Brown, who was a civil rights figure who was in jail at the time this was released. He issued a statement and said, well, I guess the Kerner Commission members should be in jail, too, because they said the exact same things I said. Mm -hmm. He was in jail for giving a speech that incited a riot. A speech. Yeah. And sure enough, this report is just like, shit's fucked, man. Yeah. Everyone's poor. No one has jobs. The police are beating the <laughs> shit out of them. Everybody's unhappy. And in defiance to Lyndon Bain Johnson, we find no evidence of conspiracy or outside agitation. Right. You know, the, the outside agitator theory was completely debunked with data, with, with real data that you can that you could cross. Yeah, it was debunked hard. Yeah. So at that point, the American government just gave up on the outside agitator idea. <laughs> Just joking. Just joking. They still stuck with that. So the problem is that the proposals in this report were going to cost like, I think they said something like $20 billion a month. It's It was things like invest in infrastructure and housing, a jobs guarantee, FDR's second bill of rights, like stuff that yeah. Martin Luther King was talking about, like good employment, respected employment, decent housing, stuff we're still talking about now, like universal basic income. The problem was that we were fighting the Vietnam War at the time. So you get all of these talking heads going on television and actually with a, a straight face and presumably a clear conscience being like, but how are we going to fuck up Vietnam if we help black people? Uh-huh. Like, we can't afford to do both. Yeah. Like, yeah. that but really becomes the talking point is we can't afford to improve the lives of our citizens because we have to wreck the lives of people in Vietnam. It's nuts. Yeah. I mean, the the point of 
imperialist aggression in other countries is to ignore the problems at home. Yeah. Always has been. And I think what everyone who put this report together eventually realized was that to implement these changes, it was going to come at them, basically, like their business interests, their political interests were going to be threatened by this. So what do you do? With that, the documentary pivots to Federal Laboratories, the largest producer of tear gas in the world. The tear gas angle in this documentary is fascinating. Yeah, he gets a lot of airtime, pencil neck motherfucker. Yeah, when the U.S. dropped tear gas in Vietnam, it's mentioned, uh, we were accused of chemical warfare, and that is a war crime. And our argument, our defense, was it's not a war crime because our police do it to our citizens here. So if we do it to our own people, it can't be a war crime. That is an insane argument. I mean, it's a strong argument, but I mean, they're not going to actually say, but should we be doing that at home? Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's a fascinating PBL scene where this group of civil rights leaders, one, just chain smoking. Oh on my TV. god, the pipes, like and the curly I, pipes. I love it. There, there's curly pipes, there's cigarettes. It's great. But also, they are discussing what the US can do about these situations and things pointed out in this report. And they're tossing around, you know, good outcomes, bad outcomes. And then I'm paraphrasing, but one of them just says, or they could build up a militarized police force and just surround black communities and keep law and order that way. It's like, oh, yeah, that's that's what what they they did. did. Yeah, yeah, that's what they did. And that's the thing. That was one of the recommendations of the Kerner Commission report. But it was one among also like housing and Food and education, jobs, jobs, income that like it was one thing that I imagine was like, okay, well, just like to keep the communities from being destroyed, maybe we should like militarize a little bit while we rebuild these communities. And the government was like, this is the only thing we can sell. Yeah, the uh, the militarization we're in on everything else that's out We're we're not going to make any of those reforms, but we will give cops tanks and actual tanks like real tanks. yeah actual tanks and that's so that's such goddamn trickery on the american government's part because firing on protesters or getting violent with protesters is a thing we will drag another nation through the fucking mud over especially if they send in the military to do it meanwhile we get to be like we would never send the military in. We just give our cops tanks and make them yeah, the we military. Just turn the police force into a military. We just don't call it that. Yeah, it's such an end run around that whole notion that you don't send the military after protesters. Yeah. And then, of course, sometimes they do. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have sometimes the, they still do. National Guard on our streets after uh, some of the uprising in, uh, in 2020, 2021. I like that. Sniper attacks also come up in this. Oh my god! Because yeah, the sniper attack—it's basically the razor blade in the in the in the apple. Like it's yep. the thing we're all scared of, and it's totally real, you guys. My dad works at Nintendo; he can get you all the games for free. <laughs> yeah, in this case, sniper attacks were pointed to as the reasoning why the police needed to militarize because you can't go into these neighborhoods to put down a riot in just plain clothes police gear 
if there's someone firing at you with a rifle from a rooftop. And or so, if you think that that might be the case, or if you really want that to kind of be the case, right? So that you can justify tanks. But then the Kerner Commission. <laughs> Once again, in their report, just completely blow up the idea that snipers were at all involved in any of this. Not only that they said there was one like confirmed sniper and it was a drunk guy with a pistol. Mm. Like it wasn't like that's a killing machine right there. Yeah, it wasn't a trained military guy up in a fucking bird's nest. But also, most of the reports of snipers were actually the police shooting at each other. Yeah, and- just not knowing where the bullets are coming from, <laughs> hearing uh, hearing pops and going, well, I mean, no uniformed officer could ever make a mistake. Um, so therefore, this terrifying unseen f- firearm presence must be a highly trained killer up in the rafters. To not- be fair, a sniper did probably JFK. Okay. I think a sniper fired at JFK. Unless right. we're talking, depends on what snipers we're talking about. So yeah, the, the sniper thing turns out to be bullshit, but the, we still militarize like crazy over it. Yep. And not only that, but this is the point in history where apparently lawmakers and police were going out into the community and saying, hey. Hey, which community? Uh, Yeah, that's the thing. They were going out into the other community, the white community. <laughs> And saying, hey, black people are coming. You better start buying guns. And then we so we see all this footage of police training little old ladies to shoot. And some of them. I'd I'd never ever want to hurt somebody dot dot dot. But if it comes down to it, I guess I'll have to. Well, it's not just that. There's the one woman who like cannot hide the smile on her face when she's like. If I have to shoot, where's the best place to shoot? And to his credit, the instructor is like, that is a terrible thought. But also like the middle of the body. Yeah, obviously. Center yeah. mass, ma'am. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, Good thing I'm not a threat to you. Yeah, it is. It is some shocking footage. And we see counter footage of a, a room full of black people talking about this situation. And one of them's like, if a black legislator was out there telling people to arm themselves, where would he be right now? And the consensus is he'd be lucky to make it to jail, but the government would probably just kill him first. And that's when we see the Robert Byrd speech. Well, first, there's the lady, uh, the the nice, I want to say, mid-40s white woman driving down the street in, you know, what looks to be a a mid-range sedan, with her hands at was at nine and noon, and dangling from her right hand, which is on the, at the top of the steering wheel, is a pistol, and she's yep. just cruising with this pistol hanging there, not yeah. a care in the world, or apparently lots of cares, but just letting everybody know, <laughs> hey, by the way, I have this gun in the front seat, and I, I I just have it, and it's here. Like, can you imagine? What would happen if some, if literally anybody did that now? Yeah. Oh, I mean. But especially any person of color. Yeah. Any, that's the thing. If a person of color did that, like if a white person did it, it would really depend on where they were as to whether police would probably pull them over. Who knows? So yeah, we mentioned the Robert Byrd speech already, which was delivered six days before MLK was killed. And it was him just being like, MLK is a coward that comes to town. And incites riots and then leaves when things get bad. Slips out the back door without a scratch on his head, letting the good citizens uh, take the uh, t- take the abuse that he has incited. How did you feel about 
the creative choice to include that entire burn baby burn song from the npl show oh my god yes right after they talk about and after this old racist fucking senator gives his little diatribe mlk is murdered in the streets uh attending trying to attend a, a protest for jobs yeah uh and then they cut to the uh the npl show with these two black men playing an acoustic guitar, and the song is like, I, I, I want to, I want to change things, but all I have in my hand is this match. Burn, yeah. baby, burn. And yeah, I wanted a job, but all I have is this match, it's and it's a, great, a good it's, song. It's a really good song. It's a really cool performance, and yeah, I love that she let the whole song yeah. play because it's it's a good three four minutes and, and it's not it really short. captures without without any footage of anything else after it, it it's odd how few actual images of riots there are in the film yeah. riotsville usa it's a documentary about dialogue and the kinds of dialogue that are being had and in this show about public discourse the public discourse stops for a moment for a moment of artistic expression of like maybe yeah may, there's a reason that these things are happening and then a subtitle pops up of like NPL was uh, was almost immediately thereafter canceled. Yeah. yeah, yeah, not long after that. So the last part of the documentary focuses on 1968 and the Democratic and Republican national conventions. Yeah, I knew the, all about the, the the DNC in Chicago because that that one is is very that we talk about a lot. Yeah, in history, and I I think I mean this whole documentary is good and worth watching but this last part is arguably the most eye-opening part because i just didn't know anything about this and yeah i like you said we've heard so much about the 1968 democratic national convention in chicago which is essentially where the police put their military training on display Mm-hmm. for the entire world on television. And hey, I th- do you have opinions about the way society is going? Well, fuck you. I have larger guns. And there's a couple things I didn't know about. One, in the buildup to the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Chicago tried to assemble a riot posse, <laughs> which was just armed citizens who were going to go to the Democratic National Convention to make sure no armed citizens caused any problems. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's not even just armed citizens. It's just like, well, uh, would you like to come in and be paid a a decent amount of money here to defend your city? Well, yes, I would, of course, like to defend my city. Uh, Oh, well, then we'll provide you with a uniform and... uh, and uh, uh, firearms as necessary, a little bit of training. It's like, these are just people. They're just like, yeah. hey, what are you doing on Saturday? Do you want to like <laughs> point a gun at some students? Does that yeah. sound fun? Do you want to pull that trigger? Well, if I can fill things out. Fortunately, <laughs> a court stepped in and dissolved the riot posse before it was Activist, able to be deployed. judges. Right? Fucking yeah. woke judges mm-hmm. making us all- less safe so that was a a twist i didn't know about that was a turn of events i wasn't familiar with but the really surprising or interesting whatever adjective you want to use for it the stuff at the end about the republican national convention yeah in 1968 which took place in miami beach i hadn't heard anything about this and it is the far more heinous police action like by a million miles yeah and 
Well, it, it's important to note out like the DNC in Chicago, like that's a dense metropolitan area. You know, you can get to it from just about anywhere. The the place where they actually put the RNC was a little bit isolated, and it was it was like you know sort of in the um it was like a not an atoll, but like it, out of the way of the principal city in you know a more let's say exclusive area, both like economically and geographically, it's harder to get to. So for that reason. There wasn't a ton of unrest or demonstrations in the area of the Republican National Convention. There was one that happened at the hotel, I think, where it was where someone was staying or where it was maybe happening, where Reagan had to be like ushered through the room. And it's like, of course, fucking Reagan is going to show up in this. But six miles away in a community called Liberty City, which if you look into Liberty City, it is a high crime, high poverty part of miami it's referenced in rap songs all the time it's referenced in uh, less than jake last night of liberty city burned it to the ground and that's the thing at the same time the republican national convention is happening this protest starts in liberty city and it's around 400 people mostly black people and they, this weird thing happens where the people like broadcasting the republican national convention like the play-by-play guys i guess mm-hmm. Fucking Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. They're like, well, obviously this protest is because the Republicans didn't seat enough delegates here at the Republican National Convention. And even I was like, huh? That doesn't sound right. I mean, it was and, probably true, if not particularly relevant. Oh, no, I'm sure the part where they didn't seat many black delegates was very accurate. But the Miami Herald actually went and talked to the protesters and published their demands. And it was all like housing. Uh, We want more black cops instead of white cops. Mm. Uh, We want control over the politics in our neighborhood. Like it was like Black Panther type shit. But they're not going to say that on TV because that, again, is like what the Johnson administration especially wanted was this idea that these protests were just like pockets of like agitators and like people who just kind of wanted to stir shit up. But otherwise... People weren't that unhappy. It was just that people were coming in and riling them up and making them unhappy. And it's like, (laughs) bullshit. Like you said, there was no social media at the time to refute shit like this. So it would just end up on the news and people would nod in agreement. So these protests are happening. And at first, like elected officials from Miami and from Florida in general, from the state, are meeting with the leaders of this protest. And at one of these meetings... They're like, all right, that's good for the day. We'll come back tomorrow and finish this dialogue. And then that night, Richard Nixon gets the Republican nomination and Nixon takes office on a law and order order. ticket. And those elected officials never come back. They do not continue those meetings. Instead, the police show up and they show up with a metric shit ton of tear gas they brought a there's a it, there's this silly shot where there's a truck that kind of looks like a tank that the narrator says this was a a, a truck that was used in uh, insecticide dispersal yeah uh, and they just it's just they just show it driving down the street just blasting tear gas out of either side of it with no one in view it right. is dousing with tear gas an empty street yeah that's bizarre that's the thing like we're not just talking the police tossing a couple tear gas canisters they break up the riots that way kind of at first like they break up the protests with just like 
conventional tear gas deployment. But then once everyone's like inside and the police have declared martial law, essentially, they like they put a curfew in place, everyone's inside and then they drive a fucking truck through these neighborhoods just shooting tear gas out and it starts seeping into people's apartments and they have to fucking come outside to get fresh air. And then on day three, when people are literally just standing on their porches watching the police overreact, they send the National Guard in. And the National Guard starts, like, fucking people up for sitting on their porch and looking at them wrong. It's nuts. Or not. It's just like, we need bodies. Let's just let's yeah. just grab a couple of bodies. Why are we here if we're not shaking human beings? And what we find out, obviously, these police were trained at Riotsville, USA. Riotsville. And it really, like you said, feels like, a yeah, we need bodies. Like, we've got all this training. We've got to put it into play and see if it's if it's actually useful. And it's like, those people weren't even protesting anymore. You were just brutalizing people. So that's kind of where the documentary ends. I would highly recommend it. I think it's very relevant to a thing that's happening right now in this country, which is Cop City. It's like, it's essentially the same thing. Cop City is, uh, there's a movement right now called Stop Cop City, which is meant to shut down development of this police training facility in Atlanta that, for one thing, is just going to be like cut out of the fucking woods. So there's environmental concerns on top of everything else. That's a neat tweak. You don't normally see to police violence stories. But also it's being built on the former grounds of something called the Old Atlanta Prison Farm, which is... Oh, oh boy. A place where from like the 1920s to the 1990s, Georgia prisoners were definitely not used as slave labor to make food for the Georgia prison system's danger. They are not slaves because they're in prison and the Constitution says they can be enslaved. So they are slaved, but in slaves, but it's fine because it's in the Constitution. We only know how to do one thing on this part of the country. (laughs) No shit. And... It's kind of the same thing. It's the idea for Cop City came out of the George Floyd protests. <laughs> and they were like, well, we're not going to stop killing innocent black people. Yeah. So it we was remarkable start- how much of the how much of the dialogue immediately after the, the, the you know, higher profile killings was like, well, police just need more training. Police just need yeah. better training, more non-lethal training. And then not only have police killings of people not declined over i think at any point in the past 10 years or so yeah um let's fact check that later but like all this stuff is talking about like mass reactions like okay there are people who are protesting on mass we have to find a way to shut that down efficiently whether or not the things (laughs) they're talking about have any legitimacy we're not here to judge what's right we're here to to effect order Yeah, it's alarming how very few things depicted in this documentary have changed at all. It's mostly smoking. Yeah, it really is just, we don't smoke on TV anymore. But beyond that, nothing else has changed. Very sad. Very sad times. And it's it's, pretty scary. Oh, pretty scary boo! (laughs) We got it. Yes. So, I think that's our episode, right? Yeah, this yeah. I, I mean, I, it's, it's a good. It watch it just for the flavor of like. There's another. There's nothing we didn't mention where that's like the actors portraying these people are asked like, why? Why are you doing this? And uh, they don't have an answer. Yeah, they don't know. It's weird. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm. I guess. I guess. 
the the thing is I'm following orders. Like I'm I'm doing my yeah. job is what I'm doing. I'm here to, to to portray these things. But then they're saying things like you know why do you go to hell? Like you know like parroting right the the, the some earth like we deserve jobs like um uh, U.S. out of Vietnam like parroting the things that they're saying in the streets. It's just such a weird psychic tension going on there. Yeah, and, and it's it's a pretty documentary. It, it, it looks yeah, very, it's, it's very like it's got a definite vibe to it. I think she does a really good job as a narrator. She's a good writer. Like she's got a lot of really interesting lines that she delivers in it. Mm-hmm. I think people should check it out. You can rent it wherever you can rent stuff. Yep. And uh, I think that's it. Danger. Thank you so much. Yeah. Happily. For doing the pod. What a, what a large amount of not fun this was. Oh yeah, yeah. This was this was pretty depressing. Mm-hmm. Pretty depressing, boo. No, pretty depressing, boo hoo. <laughs> That's better. Yeah. Yeah. Boo hoo. Yeah. Uh, aside from our show on February third at the Sardine, that people should definitely get tickets for at unpops.co/sardine. Danger. Do you have anything to plug? Yeah, man. Uh, supporters support countless thousands on Patreon. Patreon.com/slash/countless-thousands. Uh, our uh, support has has uh, re- reduced some in these past few, but boy, do we have a big 2023 plan for y'all. Uh, and boy, do we need a lot of money to support the things that we want to do. Um, but the good news is we're going back into the studio, uh, I want to say in March or February or March, um, to get a new EP together called Woke Moralists. Ah, Very excited about that. Dangerous part of that woke mob coming for yep, you. Yep. And I think that's it. Let's get the fuck out of here. Danger. Say goodbye. Later on, everybody. Cheers. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.